Bibles this morning, open them with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, amen. And let's begin at chapter 1, so 1 Corinthians 1, amen. And um, we'll look at some verses here as we begin this morning. The Lord began to speak to us in, in, in the beginning of this year concerning the subject of knowing Him, the subject of not just having relationship with Him, but having fellowship with Him. Fellowship is relationship of the highest order. All fellowship is relationship, but not all relationship is fellowship. And many times when we think in terms of having a relationship with God, you know, that could mean 15 different things to 15 different people. And so we see that Father has not just using the vague term of relationship, but he's used the specific term of fellowship. Amen. Now, we began looking at Paul's sacrifices to experience this fellowship with God. Then we looked at what John, the elder statesman of the church, and 1 John wrote about the gospel being preached not just for the forgiveness of sins, not just for the receiving of salvation, not just so that you could go to heaven, but he says we've declared the things that Jesus told us to you so that you too can have this fellowship. Fellowship is what Father longs for with you. It's what Jesus came to make possible for you. And everything that he endured and the sacrifices that he made He made so that you and I could have the choice once again to fellowship with our Father, to fellowship with our Creator. That's why we said last week that the choice that you have to fellowship with God is the most expensive choice you'll ever have the opportunity to make. Now, fellowship by its nature, right, is ruined if it's forced. In other words, there's no such thing as forced fellowship. Fellowship is speaking of joint participation. It's it's talking about something that's mutual. It's a beautiful thing when you enjoy someone's company and that person enjoys yours as well. And this, of course, is at the heart of what real fellowship is. So when we talk about fellowship, we see that Father on His side has paid the ultimate price through His Son Jesus to make a way for you and me to have fellowship with Him again, but it still boils down to a choice. So that's why we say, it was the most expensive choice that you'll ever have the opportunity to make. Now, we can look at many different verses um, in the New Testament where we find this word fellowship. And we don't have to look far to find one to, to use as a text. But we've been trying to strategically, being led by the Holy Spirit, strategically choose the verses that we look at in, in an order that would help us better understand the bigger picture of God's heart or what we're calling his eternal desire to have fellowship with you. And so when Paul began this first letter to the Corinthians, and I know that probably a lot of you know this already, but just so you'll understand and become oriented, 
Paul was an apostle, he would go in and pioneer churches. He would preach Jesus to people who've never heard Jesus. People would get born again. They would raise up a pastor. Paul would work with that group of believers, get a church established, and then he would go somewhere else and do it again. There were no airplanes and automobiles and helicopters and all the modern forms of transformation that, transportation that we have today. So it was very difficult for him to get back to these churches. And so what he would do is these churches would write letters to him asking questions, presenting concerns. And then he would write letters back to them, teaching them and answering their questions and addressing their concerns. And this is what we have in the Bible called epistles. So there, there were two letters that Paul wrote to the church that was established at a place called Corinth. And that's why we get the terms 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, okay? And the church at Corinth was a vibrant church. It, it was a growing church. It was a very spirit-filled church. And a lot of what we have in the New Testament about the gifts of the Spirit and how they're to operate in the church um, comes from Paul's uh, second letter to them, uh, you know, I'm sorry, his first letter to them, helping them understand and, and, and better operate in a, in a more orderly way in the gifts of the Spirit. So notice now that this is the first letter. And notice it's, you know, within the first 10 verses, Paul is already talking about their connection with God through Jesus, what's been given to them through that connection, and the fellowship that they have now, <clears throat> the fellowship opportunity that they have now with the Father, all right? So let's pick it up in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, and we'll begin at verse number 4. Paul says this, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful. Somebody say amen to that please. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So notice he says that when they were born again, um, we, we sang the song just a moment ago. It's an invitation song. It's where, it's where God through a song is saying, you know, if you're hurting and broken within, come to the altar, come to Him. Jesus, of course, said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. We see that, that you know, for me, growing up in the Baptist church, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Anybody remember that one, right? So it's, it's songs that are expressing this opportunity where God is calling. Jesus is calling. He's reaching out. He's inviting. And, of course, the Holy Spirit is tugging at hearts. And, and, and I remember when he tugged at mine as a, as a little boy um, to come to him and to receive this wonderful gift of grace, this wonderful gift of salvation and the righteousness that comes along with it. And so we see here that he doesn't say that, that, that they are being called, but that they were called, they have been called. In other words, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus that Paul is going to talk about later to the Philippians 
the call of God, this high call, is the call for fellowship. It's the call for fellowship. Now, every person in this room has a unique gift, a unique talent, a unique ability, uh, or more than one. Um, your, your gift mix, so to speak. In other words, how God hardwired you, the things that you're good at, the things that, that you're interested in, the things that you're gifted to do. Administrators, there's, there's people who are highly organized and, and can look at a system and, and understand it very quickly. There's people who have mathematical gifts and abilities, musical gifts and abilities, people who love to serve, people who love to give. We all have these unique gifts and, 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 and abilities in our lives. And, and, and of course, all of those things are clues as to what your calling in life actually is. You know, I, I never know whether it's a compliment or not when someone eats uh, some of the ribs that I've cooked and they look at me and they say, Pastor, you missed your calling. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's... On one hand, I guess they're telling me that they enjoy the ribs, but on the other hand, I'm like, well, wait a second, you know. Um, does this mean... Amen, you'll figure that out sometime after lunch today. So, so, in other words, one of the things that I am called to do is, is to preach and teach the Word of God. I, one of the things that I'm called to do is, is to serve you and to serve my Heavenly Father in the capacity and the role of a pastor. So I'm understanding that, that these things um, are, my, are my calling. Amen. And so in the same way, you may not be called to pastor, uh, but you're certainly called to ministry. You're certainly called to use that which Father God has given to you to help others and to serve your gift and to serve your life and to serve yourself to other people. And the sweet spot of life is when, is when you find out what that is and you're actively doing that on a daily basis. Amen. And that doesn't mean that you have to have your, your name on, on some church sign or some church van somewhere. Amen. Every person in this room has been called by God and gifted by God into some area of service to others and ministry to others. And this is when you take the next step of your growth in Christ Jesus when you no longer are coming just for yourself. You're not just coming to church for what you can get out of it, but you're coming for God and you're coming for other people. Amen. Are you hearing me? Praise God. My prayer for us this year is that when we come to this building, we're not just coming here for us, but we're coming here for Him. We're coming for, here for Him first and foremost. That our presence here is not just based upon what we can get out of it, what it does for us, how it helps us. Amen. It's time for us to grow up, church. Amen. We're not just here for us. We're here for Him. He's our King. He's invited us here. He's, he's welcomed us here. He's instructed us to be here. Amen. And so we're here for Him. And then we're here because other people need us here. Are you know what I'm saying? Amen. And then thank God we also benefit from it ourselves. Amen. Amen. When we just come because it's our duty, how about this? Thank God we've grown beyond this in Jesus' name, right? I feel guilty if I don't, Pastor Mark. Well, that's a, that's a great reason, isn't it? Amen. Amen. We were talking about this in class, and I was bound and determined not to talk about it this morning, but it's just burning in me. We get so focused on ourselves this is why you see the phrase used so many times in the New Testament, one another, one another, one another. Amen. Two of the tribes came to Moses in, number 13, in Numbers chapter 13 and said, look, man, we're tired of all this traveling. We're, we're, we're tired of getting up and packing up and moving all the time. And, 
And listen, I know what I've heard about the promised land. It's got to be awesome. You know, it's got to be great. But, you know, um, we, we just, this is a beautiful place. There's a lot of green grass here. We got a lot of cows. They love this grass. So I'll tell you what, you guys go on and whatever was coming to us on the other side, y'all just divided amongst yourselves. And Moses looked at him and you think, well, you know, what else? what's Moses fixing to say? Let me tell you what Moses said. He said, are you going to sit here while your brothers go to war? And are you going to let your actions discourage the hearts of the children? See, you will never become so spiritually mature that you don't need to come to church. Because there's other people who are not as mature as you who need you here. Who need to see you here. Who look to you and say, you know, that's a family that I would like my family to be like one day. And you set an example for them. Amen. Amen. The high calling of God in Christ Jesus for me, the highest calling on my life is not pastoring. The highest calling on my life is not preaching and teaching. The highest calling on my life, as important as it is, and I've said this from this pulpit before, the Lord told me many years ago the most important assignment I will ever have is raising my son and daughter. That's not the highest calling. The highest calling on my life is to fellowship with my Father and Creator. That is the high call of God because He is the prize. The prize is not some accomplishment. The prize is not earning your stripes. The prize is not recognition of others. The prize is not being considered good at whatever it is that you're good at. The prize is walking with Him in close fellowship with Him. There is no greater prize, amen, and if we learn to fellowship with Him, all the other things that we're called to do are not just secondary to that, but our effectiveness in those things are dependent upon our fellowship with Him. In other words, the closer I fellowship with Him, the more effective I am at the other things that He's called me to do. I'm a better pastor. I'm a better husband. I'm a better son. I'm a better father. I'm a better friend. I'm a better counselor. I'm a better teacher. I'm a better pastor. I'm a better man who loves others, even unlovable people, if I fellowship with Him. Amen. Amen. God is faithful. Every time I see God is faithful, I'm reminded of the Scriptures that He is faithful to me even when I'm not faithful to Him. I don't do that to condemn myself. I just do that to remind myself that I want to be faithful to Him. His faithfulness to me, even when I'm not faithful to Him, it doesn't condemn me. It motivates me to be more and more faithful to Him than ever before. I want to go back up, if I could, for a moment. We have, over the last few weeks, went through several important points. And in those points, we've talked about what we've called evidence of God's eternal desire for fellowship with you. Now, we're going to get to a greater explanation of what we exactly mean by eternal desire, but let's just satisfy it for now by saying he knew you and loved you before the foundations of the world, before you were formed in your mother's womb. The Bible says He saw you and knew you in Christ Jesus. Father's love for you and desire for you and pursuit of you predates you. 
Some of you have heard me talk about when I was 15 years old that the Lord showed me Bethany. Told me that my first child would be a girl and her name would be Bethany. And I longed to see her in the flesh. It was 10 years before I held her in my arms. But I anticipated her arrival. Now, when Pam shows me that little test with the stripe on it, right, I'm like, okay, now it's, it's getting close, right? Amen. It's on, right? Praise God. And so even then, I've never held her in my arms, but in some way, I knew her. I had that sense of her. You follow what I'm saying? It's, it's like that only a million times more because Father not only knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, he had already written a detailed, elaborate plan out for every wonderful day of your life. So his desire for you is an eternal desire. His desire for fellowship with you is an eternal desire. It's something that has burned in him and in his heart for a long, long, long time. And so we went through the Old Testament and we looked at some things pertaining to that. But then we came to this point. While we clearly see God's desire for fellowship with His people throughout the Word of God, the exact kind of fellowship and the far-reaching nature of it does not come into view until Jesus and the New Testament. Now obviously we've, we've kind of jumped over the life of Jesus. We're going to spend, we're going to settle in here. I don't know when it's going to be. But at some point in the future, this year, we're going to settle into a study of Jesus' life as it pertains to the far-reaching nature of the fellowship that Father desires to have with us. But these verses take what Jesus lived out for us in front of us and almost verse 9 condenses it into an almost overwhelming statement of truth that we were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I talk to you about that for a minute? Can I talk to you about what this verse means for a minute? Because again, we see Father's eternal desire for fellowship, but it's not until the Jesus and the New Testament that we see the far-reaching nature of it and, and exactly what kind of fellowship it is that He longs to have with you. And the kind of fellowship that he longs to have with you is the same identical kind of fellowship that he has with Jesus. This is the fellowship that you were called into. Not some kind of outsider connection. Not some kind of know somebody that knows somebody connection. Not, not some kind of fellowship where you, know, you see types and shadows and, and from a distance, but one day maybe if we play our religious cards right, we will get there. No, the day you were born again, you were called into the same fellowship with God the Father that Jesus Christ has enjoyed for all of eternity. I mentioned Bethany, John, Mark, obviously my children. We, we have fellowship. Amen. Jake now, part of our family, a fellowship. And, um, and their friends have fellowship with me now. John Mark has a friend who calls me Daddy Mark. Amen. And he loves me even though I get his name confused with my in-law's uh, 
dog, amen. His name's Brady, and their dog's name's Grady, and I call him Grady all the time. And the only thing that makes that worse is that John Mark told him that Grady is Nancy and Clay's dog's name, and so, and he still calls me Daddy Mark, right? Amen. When I turned 50, they were among the first people to call me. They wanted to have supper with me. When Papa passed away, they were among the first people at our house with food. There's a bond there. There's a connection there. When one of them got married, they asked me to perform the ceremony. Amen. So these young men and young women, they, they have fellowship with me. But I didn't buy them a car. They have fellowship with me, but I didn't pay for their college. They have fellowship with me, and they've eaten some meals at my table, and boy, can they eat. And they've spent some nights in my home, but they don't live with me. What am I trying to show you today? I'm trying to show you that there's fellowship with me, and then there is the fellowship that my children have with me. There's fellowship with me, and then there's the fellowship of my son with me. And there's the fellowship of my daughter with me. And that's not the same kind of fellowship as what even people who are very close to them and to us as a family, it's not the, even the same kind of fellowship, right? So when Father says to you through the Apostle Paul, I am faithful, I am faithful. And by me, I have called you into fellowship with me. The same fellowship with me as my son, Jesus Christ, your Lord. Do you see what I mean by the far-reaching nature of his eternal desire for fellowship? This is not some kind of side issue with God. This is not some kind of thing that, you know, it's, it's like there's a lot going on in the world, there's a lot going on in your life, and if you get around to it, see if you can maybe work me in on a Tuesday or something. This not, please hear me, this is the central thing. This is what it's about. This is what the Christian life is. Christian life is, the, is fellowshipping with the Father. It's having Jesus live in you. Doesn't get any closer. Not just with you. What's the only thing closer than somebody living with you? Somebody living in you. So he's explaining to us here. He's revealing to us here what this fellowship really is. And what he means by it. See, a lot of times we have what we mean by it. You know, it's what we think it is. But we need to lay what we think it is aside and take up what he says it is. If the Apostle Paul is just satisfied in knowing about God, then he doesn't sacrifice all that he sacrificed to know, to know him, right? He's already knew about him. You understand what I'm saying? If, if he's just interested in having God in his life, then, well, he's going to respond even differently to that. Remember what we said last week. How you define the Christian life determines how you go about it and when you think you got it. 
what you think it is, will determine more than anything else what you do as far as the Christian life is concerned. I'm asking you to hear it from your Father who created you this morning. He put Himself inside of you to live through you. Think about that for a minute. So we have been called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's go back up to verse number 4. I want to show you this in a different translation here. First of all, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. That you were enriched in most things. Is that what that says? Some things. No, it says everything. You were enriched in everything by Him. He came for all of you. And He came for all of you. Did you catch that? He came for every person in this room, all of us, but then He came for everything that has anything to do with you as an individual. He came to make you rich in everything on every level of your existence. He came to make you rich spiritually. He came to make you rich mentally. He came to make you rich emotionally. He came to make you rich physically. He came to make you rich where your health is concerned. He came to make you rich socially. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You not will be enriched, but you were enriched. In other words, you've already been enriched. You say, well, Pastor Mark, my bank account hadn't got that news yet. Well, you've been enriched. Amen. In everything by Him, in all utterance and all knowledge. There's a, one of the newer Bible translations, as a matter of fact, I think it's only available in the New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, and Song of Solomon. But it's the Passion Translation. And um, I am, I've been introduced to it over the last few weeks, and, and I'm telling you, I, I like what I'm hearing. I like what I'm reading. But here is these same two verses from the Passion Translation. I am always thanking my God for you because He has given you such free and open access to His grace through your union with Jesus the Messiah. In Him you have been made extravagantly rich in every way. You have been endowed with a wealth of inspired utterance and the riches that come from your intimate knowledge of Him. Now, there's a lot of reasons why I like that translation and others, and it's because of what they do with that word knowledge, that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance and all knowledge. Now, utterance, I'm uttering to you right now, okay? All right? Matter of fact, before I walk up here, I ask, according to the Word of God, that He give me utterance to speak to you clearly, and precisely, or with clarity and precision, I submit to Him 
my spirit, soul, and body, and I ask him to make it a portal through which wisdom can pass from eternity into time and space in this room. You hear what I'm saying, okay? So these, these are things. So when he's talking about utterance, utterance, he's talking about words that have been spoken or words that are being spoken, all right? So he's saying that we've been enriched by the things that Jesus has spoken, all right? Because we've heard those things and we've responded to those things by faith. Amen. So that's utterance. And of course, we see that in the Passion Translation, he adds the word inspired utterance. So the idea behind inspired utterance is we know that even the written scriptures, even this letter to the Corinthians, the Bible says it was given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That word literally means God breathed. In other words, God breathed this out by His Spirit through the men who were then writing these things. So they became a portal through which Wisdom could pass from eternity into time and space. The very utterance of God could be spoken, amen, and written so that others could benefit from it. So he says that we've been enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. So when we read knowledge, it's kind of like in 2 Peter when, when he says that, that, that grace and blessings are multiplied to you through the knowledge of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We hear knowledge and we think ABCs, one, two, three. We think learning. We think, um, you know, somebody teaching us something that we don't know or that we've never heard before. And so, we, you know, we go to school to get knowledge. Brother John Smith went for uh, a, a bunch of classes last week and became certified with the Department of Mental Health. Uh, he gained knowledge. He, he, he took a test and, 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 and passed the test. Congratulations, John. Give a shout out. And so sometimes when we read and all knowledge, we think that kind of knowledge. But in the original language, this, that's not what this is meaning or that would be included in it, but it means so much more. So again, the passage translation expounds this, the riches that come from your intimate knowledge of Him. Your intimate knowledge of Him. So grace and peace, blessings and peace are multiplied to you, Second Peter, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's more than just learning from Him what He says. But he's talking about an intimate knowledge of Him, and that intimate knowledge of Him comes the same way an intimate knowledge of any human being would come, through fellowship. Through fellowship, yes? Are, are you tired of me using that word fellowship? Man, please don't be, because we, we're not anywhere near through with it, all right? Praise God. Now... <clears throat> I want, to, I want to try to do something real quick, and I'm, I'm just about out of time, but let's do this, if we could, in the few minutes that remain, all right? So, maybe we'll come back to this, but I just want to reemphasize again that this leads up to verse number 9. God is faithful, even when we're not. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, He's calling you this morning. And above all else, he's calling you into the same fellowship with him of Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't have that passage, but, but the Passion Translation says, called into a co-share, a co-share, wow, with God the Father. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't hoard his dad all to himself? You ever seen kids on the playground, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, dad's pushing somebody on the swing and then... There's somebody else on a swing over here, and he steps over and starts pushing that kid on the swing. And the first kid says, hey, Dad, you know, 
Like, what are you doing? You know, you're pushing somebody else. Man, Jesus is happy for God the Father to push all of us on our swings. He's not, he's not upset about that one bit, man. He's like, push them all, Dad, push them all. Right? He's welcoming us all in to what he has with his dad. Now, this next, this next slide, we talked about some of these things last Sunday night. And I tried to clean this up a little bit for those of you who are here. But this is important, and I hope we can get past this this morning, but if not, we're going to stay right here till we do. There is a huge disconnect in our hearts between what we know about the love, I should say the love of God, and that knowledge translating into our understanding His eternal desire for, for fellowship with us. Let me do that again better. There is a huge disconnect in our hearts between what we know about the love of God and that knowledge translating into our understanding His eternal desire for fellowship with us. We've heard it so many times that Jesus loves you, God loves you. That somehow we have never translated his tremendous love for us into his desire for fellowship with us. Did you hear that? Please, that's important now. That's important. I really believe the Holy Spirit is, has, is revealing to us a roadblock that we've got to get past. I use this example in different ways, but... You know, three lanes of 459, if you've ever been on 459, let's say there's some kind of broken down vehicle or some kind of incident, has two lanes blocked and you sit there and sit there and sit there. But then when you finally get your turn through that one lane, you've got wide open roads ahead of you. In other words, you're able to make tremendous progress now because the log jam, you've cleared it, you, you've moved past a choke point. And for a lot of people, I believe this is a choke point. We know about God's love. We've heard about God's love. Even to some extent, we believe that He loves us. But the disconnect in our hearts has been that we've never understood that His tremendous love for us is only revealing to us how much He wants us. Are you hearing me now? This is important. He hasn't done everything that He did for you because He owed you something. He hasn't done everything that he's done for you because of some sense of entitlement that you have and some sense of obligation that he has. He genuinely loves you. And his genuine love for you is revealed in all that he has done for you. Jesus came to bridge that gap for us. In other words, he came to take what was uh, love in principle or love in uh, you know, theory to make it practical lived out in front of us every day of his life here on this earth. Now, let's go back to our key point. God's eternal desire for fellowship with you and me. Are you good? Can we finish this right quick? I promise I'll be quick. I think, I think you're going to be glad you came when you hear what I'm about to do, okay? So just stay with me for a few more minutes. God's eternal desire for fellowship with us is evident throughout Scripture but the exact kind and the far-reaching nature of that fellowship was, did not really come into view until Jesus in the New Testament. Because what happened with Jesus in the New Testament? God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. God became one of us. He didn't just become like one of us. He became one of us. Philippians tells us that Jesus emptied himself of everything that made him God and came to this earth as a man. And what he did on this planet, he did as a man in right standing with God the Father, full, full of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says it this way in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In the Old Testament, we see 
the instructions that if you seek God with all your heart, you'll find Him. In the New Testament, it's not just God asking you to seek Him. We see it's God becoming one of us and seeking us. The incarnation of Jesus and the means of His incarnation takes the evidence of God's eternal desire for us to places it had not previously been. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mary submitted to God's eternal desire for fellowship and allowed the Holy Spirit to impart to her the seed of God, implanting the seed of His life in her. Among living things, those who are most similar and have the most in common are of the same species, and only those of the same species are able to bear one another's young. God became man in the person of Jesus Christ and was nursed by us, bathed by us, cared for by us, trained by us. He grew up in one of our houses. God became man in the person of Jesus Christ in order to live and dwell among us, to touch us and be touched by us, to love us and be loved by us. Jesus hugged us and kissed us. Jesus spoke to us, ate with us, laughed with us, lived with us, cried with us. He came into our homes. He healed us. And He healed our parents and children. Jesus talked to us about our Father and His great love for us and then lived our Father's love before us. He washed our feet. He welcomed us all. He prayed for us. He prayed with us. He humbled Himself for us. He got His hands dirty for us. He agonized over us. He bled for us. We rejected Him, denied Him, ran from Him, and abandoned Him when He needed us the most. We spit on Him, ignored Him, doubted Him, did not listen to Him, disobeyed Him, judged Him. We beat Him, mocked Him, laughed at Him, looked down on Him, and turned our backs on Him. We stripped Him naked, tortured Him, and killed Him. He bled for us. He became poor for us. He became our sin for us. He allowed His body to be broken for us. He took our sickness upon Himself for us. He allowed Himself to be separated from His Father for us. He died the death we deserved for us. He died for us. He took our punishment for us. He paid for us. He was buried for us. He went to hell for us. He canceled our debt for us. He took the sting of death for us. He broke the chain of sin for us. He became... He overcame the devil for us. He defeated death for us. He took the keys to hell and the grave for us. He was raised for us. He fought for us. He won for us. He took back our glory and authority for us. He gave himself for us. He gave his all for us. He gave his all to us. He gave what Adam lost back to us. He gave His righteousness to us. He gave His name to us. He gave His seat to us. He gave His access to us. He gave His inheritance to us. He gave His kingdom to us. He gave His spirit to us. He gave His word to us. He gave His promise to us. He gave His glory to us. He restored us. He restored us. And He did all of this and much more for us. Do these words move you? Do they help you see who you are to Him? Can you see His love for you? Do you see how badly He wants you? Do you see how He longs for you? How He has gone to the ends of the earth for you? Refused to give up on you? Are His actions not enough to convince you that He wants you and only wants good for you? Do you love Him? Do you want Him? Do you want my beautiful Savior? Do you want Him more than anyone or anything else? Does your heart long for Him like His heart longs for you? Is there any sacrifice too great for Him? Is there anything He could ask of you that would be too much? Why 
Why did he do it? Why did he do it? Because he loves me can roll off your tongue without you giving a second thought to the implications of such a vast love shown and demonstrated for you. Do you see why I say there is a huge disconnect in the hearts of God's people when it comes to the love that He has demonstrated for them and that love translating into His eternal desire to be with you, to have fellowship with you, to walk with you, to live with you, to have company with you, to accompany you, to be in you, and to live through you. This is fellowship. This is fellowship. This is fellowship. I'll finish here. Think for a moment about the people in your life you have the most patience with. Come on now. Think for a moment. I'm asking you to think about the people in your life you have the most patience with. Those to whom you show the most mercy and grace. The ones you are the most willing to go out of your way for be inconvenienced by. What you'll do if you think about those people, what what you'll discover is this. The more you care about a person and the more you want a person in your life, the more patience you have with them, the more mercy and grace you extend to them, the more you are willing to do for them. Is this true? Is this true? What then does it say to you about the love Father has for you and the desire in His heart for close fellowship with you, given the immense amount of patience, mercy, and grace He has given you. I think it's safe to say that He has been much more than a little inconvenienced on our behalf. And singers, if you would come, please, musicians. talk about this in greater detail that passage in 1 Corinthians that we read this morning where it says the testimony of Jesus has been uh, confirmed in you it has, has been literally he's saying that it's been lived out in you and that he will confirm you to the end so that he may present you blameless this is speaking of the grace that has been given to you and me a grace that is so thorough that it prevents now our sin from making fellowship with God impossible the way it did in the Old Testament. This is the grace that you've been given. A grace that will one day present you before God the Father as blameless. As blameless. Stand with me this morning, please. If I have the characters wrong, forgive me, but I believe it was Huckleberry Finn that made painting the fence look so attractive that he wound up getting his friends to paint it for him. Have you ever noticed that when you watch somebody do something, especially something that interests you, it, it, it draws you to it? I forget the names of the people involved, but there's a famous quote that basically says, I didn't like jazz music until I saw my friend Ralph 
liking jazz music. In other words, when he watched one person enjoy something, it caused him to consider it in a different light, and now he was attracted to jazz music, something he had never been attracted to before. But because he saw somebody else enjoying it, it caused him to give pause and take a second look. And when he paused and took the second look, he saw something that he had overlooked before, and now he became someone who enjoyed jazz music on a regular basis. What am I telling you this morning? I believe you love Jesus. I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to help me present Jesus to you in a way that maybe you've never seen him before. Uh, my prayer is that if you're here this morning and you're not really that on fire, so to speak, or whatever we want to call leaning in hard to Jesus, that you'll see people all around you in this room who love him so much that it's, <laughs> it's kind of making you think twice about, you know, maybe there's more to it than you've understood before. That you'll see somebody else loving him and it'll make you love him more. You, you, you see somebody else being faithful to him and it'll make you want to be faithful to him more. There's none more wonderful than him. There's none more beautiful than him. There's none more powerful than him. There's none more wealthy than him. There's none more wise than him. He's the desire of all nations and yet most people don't even know who he is to desire him and yet they still desire him in their hearts. I'm going to ask you this week, please. Whatever time you've devoted in your life to fellowshipping with the Father on a daily basis, increase that if it's just five more minutes. Increase it, please. Increase it. I can't mandate these things. I can't make you do things any more than you can make me do things. I'm just asking you, please, to consider. Give him a little more time. Anytime you give him, he'll fill it. Any room you make for him, he'll move into it. Any door that you've left closed, that you open, he'll, he'll get in there. And, you know, it's things in that room in your life, in your heart, that you need to get cleaned up, that you need to get straightened out. And, and you've dreaded it, you haven't wanted to deal with it, you haven't wanted to face it. Just open that door to him. And he'll have it fixed and straight in no time. Amen. Father, we love you this morning as we stand before you. We thank you for the life and peace that we have because of you. And we thank you, Father, that that life and peace, that grace, that blessing is being multiplied in our lives, Father, as we have more and more experiential, intimate, personal knowledge of you and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He points to you, Father. He points to you. He's brought us to you. He's given us access to you. He's revealed you. He's lived your love for us out before us. We know so much more about you because of him than we would have ever, ever been able to know without him. Thank you. Thank you. Father, if we need to re-examine what we think the Christian life's about in this room this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Father. If we thought it was something that it's not or thought it was less than what it really is and We've let that define for us how we go about it. And when we thought we got it, then help us have the courage to reevaluate those things. Father, help that long, long list of things that we've, we did to Jesus and what he did for us in spite of what we did to him. Lord, help that just settle in on our hearts. Father, I, I haven't memorized it all yet, so I have to read it. But, but yet there are portions of it and pieces of it, Lord. 
by the Holy Spirit, bring it back to our hearts and our minds and our remembrances this week. May we rest in your love. May we relax. Lord, with so many people in this room, so uptight, so on edge. Lord, just so sharp in the way they speak. Lord, help us, Jesus. Help us relax, Father, in your love for us, in your desire for us. You're not mad at us. You're not even indifferent towards us. You're enthusiastically concerned for us. Eternally committed to us and emotionally connected to us this morning. Let it wash over us now, Holy Spirit. Wisdom and a gift of repentance, let it wash over us now. Oh, such love. Oh, such love, Father. It's more than we can comprehend, but with your Holy Spirit's help, we can comprehend more and more every day. Help us. And help us to live in light of that love. Help us to wake up every morning of our lives understanding a little more and seeing ourselves a little more clearly through the lens of your love for us. Father, we've turned to inferior things, trying to satisfy our hunger for you. We've turned to silliness and confusion and put so much effort, as Jesus said, towards the bread that perishes. I hear you calling. <laughs> You're calling us with the highest calling of all, fellowship with you. Fellowship with you. Come live in us, Lord. Come live through us, Lord. Thank you, Father.